if you can connect what you took with your diamond kinetic sensors or what I take with my blast sensors and show them on video what it looks like, it looks then like. that's like super powerful, yes. right? That's, that's when it's like, oh, okay. And then if you can get them to connect the feel to that, okay, that, that, that kid will just take off. If you want more power, better vision, and a bulletproof mindset, then I would like to welcome you to CG Plus, Complete Games Online Player Development Center. Now, baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels can access a multimedia experience providing education and instruction on your personal mobile platform. Rob Cruz has put together an online video portal, a remote hitting program, as well as a series of online hitting courses boasting a curriculum that features pitch recognition strategies, power, video analysis, mental skills, and then some. For more info, log on to www.cg.plus. That's www.cg.plus to find out how you can complete your game today. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Rob Cruz. This is the Transcending Sport Podcast, episode number 57. My guest is Coach Rachel Folden, minor league hitting coach, Chicago Cubs. Marshall University Hall of Famer, two-time MPF champion, and CEO of Folding Fast Pitch. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. <laughs> so I was, I was, I was last minute kind of just going through Google and stuff, like trying to say oh, what it was, what's going on lately with, uh, with, with Coach Rachel, and um, <laughs> I, I totally forgot because you've done so much since then that you played in the MPF um, with um, with Coach Dean and, and Stu all and those guys. <laughs> oh, I know. That's when we met the first time. It's funny. It's Damn, it seems like a long time ago. It, it is, was a, It was a long time ago. Because, um, wait, who else was on that team? Was it, wasn't Emily Friedman on that team? Friedman was on that team. Finch was on that team. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know when, when you started coaching if Finch was still there. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I coached with some freaking Finch's, legends. Yeah, Finch's last year was the year her, her retirement year, like her retirement tour. Yep, yep. 20, 2010 was when. Um, I mean, I mean, she had no reason to retire other than she just wanted to. I mean, she was still hitting third. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and throwing and throwing darts too. Like I know, just, I know. She was the best show and go player I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. So, my my Jenny Finch story. I mean, I got one. I, I'm sure everybody has has good ones, but <laughs> I got I got so many good ones. And you, and you had the opportunity to coach her, which is pretty pretty freaking awesome. I mean, catch yeah. her. I mean, catch her. Yeah, catch her. Yeah, catch. So, yeah. So, um, I want to talk. I want to start with you. I want to start with like, um, where are you from? Originally, I'm from I'm from Southern California. Mm -hmm. So, so like Greater Los Angeles area. I grew up in a city called Azusa, California. Yep. And I went to Diamond Bar High School. So I transferred out of my district to go to Diamond Bar High School and graduated from there. And yeah, that's that's where I grew up. 
Oh, and and so why'd you transfer? Why'd you why'd you leave? Why'd you leave to go to Diamond Bar? Uh, this is gonna. This always makes people laugh. Uh, to play on a better basketball team. So uh, yeah. So I I was a basketball player like when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I was really good at it. And you know when you're in middle school and everybody's about the same size, I was a baller, right? And you you've met me, so you know how little I am. Um, so I you know, was just a really good basketball player, pretty good athlete. And I, my local high school didn't have a very good basketball team. So I actually went to a private school called Bishop Amat High School. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda Kamakona is the head coach there now, which is pretty cool. But oh, um, cool. she's had, she's had, she's had softball coach there now. So, um, yeah, I went there for a year and kind of put a financial strain on my family. So decided to transfer. And by that time I had started playing softball. And I Diamond Bar had a good softball program, but my travel coach at the time, I just started playing travel ball, just started playing softball. He, his daughter went to Diamond Bar and she was one of my good friends. And I still didn't want to go to the home high school. And so we just, I transferred there. I had to play a year of JV softball um, at, due to transfer rules. And then I ended up just graduating from there and we moved into the district eventually. Oh, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. So, so now, you know, you, you get to, so what would you play travel ball for? Uh, I played for the California Thunder, mm-hmm. which they're still, they're still around. Um, the woman who headed the organization back when I played, she still heads the organization now. Her name is Valerie Van Kirk. She's fantastic. She went to Cal wow. State Fullerton. Wow. She's a stud. And, uh, and then at my, right before I went to college, I had already signed with Marshall. I went and played one summer with the Corona Angels. I played with Marty. That's cool. He's yeah, he's really good. <laughs> I know he's really yes, good. Yes, yes, yeah, for yeah, sure. So when you were at Marshall, who who was your coach? Shonda Stanton. She's Serious? the coach at IU now. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize she was there when you were there. She, she, she's oh yeah, one, she's one of my favorites. She's one of my favorites. She's the she's the best. She's my favorite. So you yeah. can't have her. She's my favorite, and <laughs> I love I love her so much, and she mm-hmm. knows that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I played for Shonda. It was, awesome four years she's great so you've been around some pretty awesome coaching you, you've had pretty pretty good coaching your pretty much your whole life yes absolutely because i've been you, very very fortunate and blessed for sure yeah you have some deep thinking some really smart people mickey dean Stu, you know um yep. coach stanton and then you, you know your coach at and, and travel your coaches that you were around in travel ball so that you know what other influences you have uh, that influenced like who you are today in terms of how you think, because you're 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 definitely one of the, you know, one of the top thinkers in the game right now. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm just going to tell you you are. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> so, that. So how'd you get to that point where you're just able to like take, you know, what's 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 currently happening in the world of hitting and in the world of baseball specifically and and softball obviously, and and um and just be this this person that you are. You know, I, I, I have really, really, I have a really good support system at home. I have yeah. really, really good parents. You know, uh, my mm-hmm. parents are divorced and I grew up in a divorced household and they're just great. Like I, there was never a time where I wasn't allowed to pursue something. And I think that that's, that's really beneficial to, to my development, not only as a person, but also as, you know, like like a player and a coach is just like, I, 
I was always allowed to pursue whatever I wanted to pursue. And my parents just really gassed me up and told me I could do anything. And mm -hmm. that was like awesome. You know, it's just a really, really cool environment to grow up in. And, you know, I've, like I said, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to be just around some really good coaches. You know, my, my first softball coach, he was actually one of my basketball coaches who pushed me into softball. His name's Mark Booth. He's a football coach. He coached at Los Alamitos High School. And like, he's pretty tough dude, no nonsense, but like just treated me like I was one of his own. You know, I was I was kind of the, the drop off kid. You know, I my parents are divorced. They live an hour apart. My mom worked. So I was always the kid that was like, hey, does Rachel have a ride? Who's who's taking Rachel? You know, she mm -hmm. needs a ride. And because mm -hmm. my parents were always working or, or away. And so he took care of me and, you know, he treated me like I was his daughter. And it's, you know, just very, very like he he want he knew how great I could be. And mm -hmm. he definitely tried to get that out of me, which I really I will always appreciate. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. I think everybody needs somebody like that. And I've, I've had I've had so many people that were seemed like they were just sent to me at the right times in the right situations. There yep. always was someone that would step up. Yep. And, and that, that just goes back to, to how sports is such a community effort. Right. It's, it's such sure. a community thing. And it's, it, it's always you're giving and you're giving and you're giving, you know, and then you get in a position where you yep. want to give back, then you give back. And then, you know, whoever you give yes. back to, then they give back. You know, that's what I love about sports. Um, but yes. So, you know, going, going over. And that's to, how it should be. That's how yeah, it should be. You that's know? how it should it's, be. I mean, that's, yeah, it's community, you know? And um, so let's, let's go, let's go ahead and go, let's go into this. I want to talk about um, how you got to the Chicago Cubs and, and, so, and began to work at the professional level and professional baseball, no doubt. Um, how, how that happened. Was there an inflection point? Was there some the turning point where, or oh, was it one person who was a catalyst that believed in you that, that said, hey, you know what? We got to get Rachel in front of these people or but this is that something that you parlayed through your connections. Like, how did that, how did it happen? So I, I had been running fold and fast pitch, right? Like I, I coached in college. Yeah. I, where'd I you, hated. Where'd you, where'd you coach in college? I, so I coached at, my first coaching job was at a tiny little school in Northern California mm -hmm. uh, called Holy Names University. Okay. And it's 1500 kids, maybe. Um, and so I, I coached there for literally one semester. I got there in December, coached them through the season. And then I ended up getting the job at Valpo and I, I coached at Valpo for two years. And I just, I really, really enjoyed the coaching aspect, but I hated recruiting. I hated it. I hated it with everything in me. I just like, it was that would just be not me. for me. That would be me. Uh, <laughs> yes. So like, I knew I wanted to be in the cage and on the field, but I knew that like, I just, I could not stand the recruiting aspect of it. And so I decided I was going to give some lessons. You know, I'd given lessons in college. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I like just, I did it for extra spending cash and I had always really enjoyed it. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give some lessons. Mm -hmm. And so it started off really slow. It was, I met somebody who had a cage in the back of their construction warehouse. Mm -hmm. You know, it was dirty. They were always pulling trucks in that were full of mud. And it was just like, 
but it was it was just me in there and I was just in there figuring it out with a bunch of kids and you know one lesson became two lessons and two lessons became four lessons and four lessons became eight lessons and then before you knew it my week was full and it happened really fast it probably happened in the span of about three or four months which was really cool mm-hmm. and uh so I just started doing that full time and I was making pretty good money um and this is where where's this at where, where's this happening this is in this is in northwest indiana so i stayed in valpo okay after i yes so i i stayed there and just started you know just did that full time and i always really like i i get i think i get bored and i'm always trying to learn new things and so i i, I just kind of had this realization that like i am not doing this the right way and what i mean by that is I think I'm just like, I'm training these kids. They look good in the cage and then, but they're not good. They're not actually good. They're just really good when they're with me. And it's like, okay, well, what's, what's not, what's missing here. And I think what was missing was I wasn't challenging them. And so I started to get on Twitter and I, you know, started to, to kind of pay attention to what a bunch of people were doing. And I, I came across Chad Longworth. I don't know if you know Chad. I definitely know Chad. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Chad, I, I, I watch his, po- I listen to his podcast. It's one of my favorite yeah. podcasts, by the way. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's the most like, just chill dude who just gets it. And I just like, he's so open with his information and, you know, it's something I really appreciate about him. And so I, I reached out to him and at the time it was, I, so let's say it was 20, probably 2015 maybe. And uh, Team USA was like hey we're having this open tryout and for softball and I hadn't played in a while and I was like you know what like maybe yeah I don't I don't remember what year it was but I was like you know what let's see if they're actually having an open tryout or if it's going to be the same stuff that they always do which is we're going to make it look like we're having an open tryout and but we really already kind of have our team set and we're just going to you know make it make a good story out of it and so I just, I reached out to Chad and I'm like, hey, I said, I'm going to go do this. I said, I want you to take a look at my swing and tell me what you think. And he's like, all right. So we started talking. We had, you know, a conversation. And at that time I was using like Diamond Kinetics and we were just, you know, talking through it. And I'm like, you know, I'm really interested in what you do with your training methods. So like him and I had probably like three full, like two hour conversations. And I just like, was like, wow, like I am not doing any of this. And that just (laughs) makes so much sense how he's training his kids. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? Like something's got to give. So I just started to, I I just slowly started to change and make things more difficult. I bought a pitching machine um, and I just started to, to go hard with it and get creative with it. And I started to meet more people online, more people on Twitter. And then I came across uh, Justin Stone Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, kind of followed him for a little while. And um, he's got a, like his, his basically his right-hand man, Travis Kerber. Yep. He, he lives probably 10 miles from Valpo. And so even though he works in Chicago a lot, he lives in Indiana. And so Travis reached out to me. He's like, Hey, uh, I saw you, I came across your profile on, on Twitter. Um, I just really think you're smart and we're looking to get into the softball market with elite baseball. And so I, I, you know, I want to take you to breakfast. So him and Stoney took me to breakfast. They came all the way out to Valpo, took me to breakfast. We ate like four pounds of bacon. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it was awesome. And he basically said, I want to bring you into the softball. Here's what we have. We have 
a bunch of tech. We have, you know, we consult for major league baseball teams, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And I said, but here's the deal. If I get involved with this, I don't want you to just shove me in the softball corner. I want to be involved in the baseball side because I knew like the, the tech and everything moves a lot faster on the baseball side because yeah. they have more money and more implementation for it. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, like, I didn't want to be given, you know, the information five months later. I wanted to be like in the in the beginning, you know, at, at the forefront of this. So I told him that and Stoney goes, yeah, I don't see why you couldn't do that. So I started to just drive up there like once a week and just watch them play around on stuff, teach me how to use it. And all of a sudden it was like, I, I started to, to get it and started to use it and started to implement it with my lessons back at home. And, you know, that's how I got the relationship with them. And so when Stoney got hired as the director of hitting for the Cubs, he had to fill minor league positions. And so he asked me, he goes, hey, do you want to interview for a minor league hitting coach position? And I was like, yeah, let's go. And, <laughs> let's go, you know, baby. We were, yeah, like, let's go. So <laughs> we were we were on our way to Michigan to work with University of Michigan, to work with Hutch. Mm-hmm. And Stoney goes, you want to do this? And I'm like, well, I mean, he goes, you have to interview for it, of course. And he's like, but I, I want you to interview for it. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So I interviewed for the position. I apparently impressed and got the position and – that's that's how I ended up with the Cubs. I know it's a long story, but I think it's it's no, all I, important. Yeah, I think it's important that that people understand the the process because because some people don't realize they they see people in a position and they're like, oh wow, or they're like, oh whatever, you know, and, you know, yeah. but they don't really know what it took and how relationships are are built yes. and how you earn the respect. Yep. Of, of your peers in, in, in whatever in said industry based on yeah. your based on your talent because that can only I mean, that's only that was only because they respected your talent like you know that you don't just ask that's that's a big thing that's a big deal right and I I completely agree it's like it's you know I think baseball has been kind of a at least this is what people tell me okay because mm-hmm. I haven't been obviously involved in the in the pro baseball world but it's you know it's like oh you know we hire our buddies it's kind of like a like a boys club you know you you hire but i think the industry has moved past that in that we value i mean everybody's just trying to win and they're trying to do it better than everybody else now and there's so much information out there that we're trying to bring in the people that understand that but also can can communicate that and i think that's where a lot of this gets lost is a lot of coaches are not good communicators. And so, you know, I think I can't speak for other organizations, but I know I can speak for ours and, you know, we have got some smart, smart hitting coaches, but that are also remarkable at explaining things very simply and communicating with athletes. And I think that's something that, that we value in our org for sure. And I think that's probably what played a big role in, getting the position is I, I I don't know if I it's it's a superpower or if it's a learned skill or whatever it is but I can take things and make it very very simple I can take complex ideas and make them really simple mostly because I have to do that for myself to understand and that's how I had to be taught mm-hmm. and so you know that's that's something that I think um, 
really helped me, you know, get that, get the position for sure. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I just tweeted the other day, uh, you're only as good as what you can effectively communicate. Yes. Because so many people get so caught up into, I know this. Yeah, I know you know. It's easy to know stuff. All you need is a smartphone. <laughs> right. But, but right. can you, can you, and I think, you know, what I also found is that the people who have been in the trenches and like in like cages, little small cages all over America, all over the world, working with the babies, working with the nines, the tens, the elevens, and the twelves. If you can get them to get it, you can get anybody to get it. Right. And that, so I have a question for you, and this is yeah. like, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I'm curious to hear like maybe your, your stream of consciousness on it, but how do you think, cause you train pro guys, but you also train babies, right? Yep. So like, how do you feel like training the nine, 10, 11 year olds helps you train the pro people and vice versa? Well, I, th I think I think the gap. So when, when I'm training, the, I'll start at the top. But when I'm training the pros, it gives me a feel for what they have to do to be good. So I don't I don't necessarily have to teach to be a swinging coach, but at that level, I'm more of a hitting coach. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because yep. they kind of know what they got to do. So I'm trying to keep them from getting away from what they have to do. Right. So I'm learning from them more. You know, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm in a case, case with a pro. Let me learn from you to know what you have to do. And let me figure out how to get you to do what you what you need to do better. Right. And if there's something that we want to drastically change, that's only going to be based on what, what our assessments tell, what the tech tells us. Right. So I'm like, so hey, what? you know what? There might, there might be a better way for you to move here to get this bat to yeah. do this specifically maybe it's an outside pitch maybe it's lowing in because mostly most of the time it's location you know like okay. they may be struggling with with certain metrics or certain movement sequences on locations from like when i see it okay which, which is the reason why vertical bat angle has become like one of my new favorite metrics okay and if i can get the, the like the high school age kids to, to learn to understand that the vba is the reason why they have a ground ball to third and they're like oh okay yeah, so let's get flatter soon. Let's get on plane. Let's get the back. Let's get let's get the supination going sooner, like earlier, so that okay. you can get to that low that low end pitch with a better VBA, you know, with a, a, a steeper, you know, and, and then they'll go, oh, yeah. See, now that's not now it's not a ground ball, you know what I mean? Right. So th those types of things that you know when I I take from the but at the same time when I'm working with the younger ones now I have I can bridge the gap because now I know what's going on at the high level. You're not there yet, but here's what you're missing. Let's let's bridge that gap now. Right. And with the nines and tens, I gotta, I gotta break it down, but I have to break it down in a way that the players understand it. I gotta be more entertaining and engaging because I don't, it's boring. That's, this is boring. Like, it's not really exciting stuff sitting in the, you know, listening. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have to make this fun. I have to make this exciting. I have to be innovative. I have to have energy. I gotta, I gotta throw some jokes in there because I wanna yep. make sure that I'm, I, I want them to love this. I want them to be into this. Right. Because that's the only way so that they're going to take it out of the cage. Yes. Go ahead. Right. So when do you think you transition from being mostly a swing coach? So let's say, you you know, you coach <laughs> a kid from 10 all the way to yeah. 20. Okay. Let's just, I'm just putting a finite number on it. But mm -hmm. when do you think that transition happens? 
So I don't really, so I don't think, I don't think I ever really transitioned. So okay. I, I think I just, I just, I've learned when not to be a swing coach and when to be more of a hitting coach. To be honest, right. I'd rather not be a swing coach. <laughs> yes. I'd, ra I'd rather I mean, be, that's, I'd, that's I'd the rather fun be, part, right? I'd rather be a hitting coach. <laughs> yeah. Because, but I know I have to be both and I have to, I have to know when to be what. I have to know I that. completely I completely agree. I think you're always a swing coach. You're always a hitting coach. You just have to know when you when do you like you said, when to pull it out. Because I think those the pro guides, I mean, they do have flaws, right? They do have things about their swings that are less than optimal and they're that they that they that they're managing, that they're getting away with. And mm -hmm. so you you know, you just kind of wait for those things to get exposed before you step in with your with your swing coach knowledge, right? Like yeah. You gotta you gotta know that information though, because they will come to you. Yeah. And if you don't know it and you tell them like, hey, I don't know, it's like, okay, well, you're the hitting coach. Like I, I expect you to know this information, which is it's fair, right? Um but the uh hold on one sec. Okay, sorry, I was getting a phone call. I had to <laughs> deny it. Uh mm -hmm. like you you gotta know when to pull that pull that out because they're gonna come to you, but at the same time, like you're always a hitting coach. You're always teaching kids how to hunt what they're good at, how to manage what they're not good at, and what pitches they should pick to be more successful. And I think you could do that at the at the tenue level, right? And it could be very simple. It doesn't need to be, you know, I, I need you to hunt like that two seamer when it when it rides in on you, you just crush that pitch. Like you don't. It, it, that's very specific. But with a 10 year old, it could just be like, hey, listen, if it's above your belt, crush it. Cause that's the pitch you hit the hardest, right? And that's like very, you could just cut it in half and just be very blank and simple, but you could still teach them to do that. Because the thing is, like you said, you hit, you hit a very good point is it's like the nine and 10 year olds, like their success doesn't matter in terms of like their livelihood, but it <laughs> right. does matter in how much they enjoy the game. And if they don't, if they don't have success, they're not gonna have a lot of fun and so we do have to, we can't just be, you know, like hit the ball over the fence coach, because what if your kid can't do that? And now you're teaching them to hit fly balls, they're, hit, they're making outs and they're not, they're not successful. They're batting 10th, they're not successful. And they're wondering why we're teaching them that. Now we know that's going to scale, that's fine, but they, we still have to give them something that's successful. So you still have to tell them like, you know, hey, like, drop a bunt down every once in a while, right? I know bunting is a, is a bad word in a lot of cages across the United States, <laughs> but like, you know, drop a bunt down once in a while, or hey, if you see, you know, that that second baseman and they're giving you that three, four hole, like try to look for a pitch that you can shoot through there and get on base. Like those are valuable skills that help kids be successful so that they can enjoy it. And then they, but you're still in the back of your brain building that swing right you're still you're still building that swing that you know is going to scale you're just giving them little tidbits so that they can be successful because i think that's really really important i think that's something that we miss a lot of times with coaches i know i did for a long time is you know, they gotta they gotta hit to to have fun yeah it, it, so you said so much just now and i'm thinking to myself <laughs> wow so let me just i would say that this because there's so many different types of personalities that you that you run into when you're teaching, when you're developing athletes. And there's so many different mentalities. Personalities are one thing, but then mindsets are, are, are another, right? Absolutely. So, so what you say to someone, so I'll give you an example. 
like a lot of the pro guys have to first find out how self-aware they are. Like how accurate is this guy in his self-awareness? Because if he thinks he's doing one thing, but he's not, then I have to be able to, to, to get on the same page or speak the same language that he's speaking. Right. So if he names it, okay, what do you, so what, what you just did, so explain to me what you felt. Because what he felt is more important than what I saw. And his uh, his really ability to, his abil his ability to articulate what he's what he felt is, is is more important than what I saw. So and then with the younger players, it's the, it's kind of the same thing, but they always want to go to the outcome. They're like, yeah, but but I hit it, but I but I but I but I fouled it back. Okay, or oh, I missed it, or oh, I hit a ground ball. Okay, but but everything else was good. That's all contact points. Yep. So let's focus on let's talk about that you know so it's like you have to get them to have the right perspective on the outcomes because so many people because that most parents are most yeah, parents are out, are, most so, parents are outcome so driven you know and the outcome driven thing is what can hurt can hurt a kid's confidence and i get why so many people are outcome driven but for me as a development person i'm so much more um process or process driven in terms of you know that was good that was a good session because you, you, did, you did some things really well. Did you hit Did you hit darts all over the case today? No, but we made some strides because you're able to feel some things. Now you're about you're about five hundred, maybe a thousand swings away from from like getting that to happen in the game. And they look at me like a thousand. <laughs> I'm like that's like a week. Yeah, <laughs> that's only a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. isn't it I mean? isn't it crazy how much more patient like the pro baseball game is than the youth baseball game? Very, and, very. and just use, use sports in general is it's yeah. like, I mean, I, I, I get these calls. I'll get the call. The kid has two bad weekends in a row and I start getting calls like, Hey, is she getting worse? Like, is everything okay? Like what's going on? And it's like, dude, she's a kid. Like you, <laughs> she's fine. Like, this is all, if I, I mean, I wish I could tell you how many bad weekends I had growing up. Like, cause, cause it's a lot. Okay. And I turned yeah. out all, I turned out just fine. And then, but then you have pro baseball and it's like, Hey kid, you're going to fail. Nobody cares. Uh, we're getting, we're going to give you like four, four years to work this stuff out. Right. And it's like, it, and it, it, the, the thing that I think is, is interesting is that's, we're giving patience to people that we're spending millions of dollars on, you know, versus like the parent now, a parent's spending a sizable amount of their income and that needs to change. Travel ball needs to be cheaper we could talk about that that's a whole other podcast but mm -hmm. the but they're spending a significant amount of money on their their 13 14 year old and then but then they're not they don't have the same patience of like this is a development process they want them to be good now and because they feel like if they're not good now they're going to miss out on the the magical college scholarship that's waiting at the end of the road and it's it's just so weird how baseball is so patient when youth sports is not patient at all and it's like the the gap there that's that's our job right like that's our job is to explain to parents mm -hmm. what what is actually going on and how this actually works and i don't <laughs> think a lot of hitting coaches want to do that pitching coaches too they don't want to do that because then that's they think that that's turning a parent away 
like mm-hmm. instead of because every parent wants to hear i could make your kid good in a month mm-hmm. so everybody wants to hear and that's what every hitting coach who's just starting out thinks they can do mm-hmm. right i did i don't know if you did when you first started out i did i was like oh this this and this i could fix that cool give me a month we'll get it right and it's like you know you make them feel good in the cage yeah i'm getting better i'm getting better i have no way to measure it i have no way to show them it just looks good and then the kid's not successful and I'm getting phone calls. Well, why can't she swing like she swings with you in a game? And it's like, well, because truthfully, I didn't prepare her, but I didn't know that. And so now you're like, okay, here's the deal. Like you said, you feel you feel what you felt right there? Cool. Do that, if you do that a thousand more, it's going to click. And it's like, whoa, like nobody wants to hear that, but that's the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our job is to be honest with parents and say, listen, this is a, a lifelong process and you'll ne- never master it. Ever. At least hitting, you'll never master it. <laughs> you'll and ne- so you'll never master it. Right. And mm-hmm. so like just chill out for a second. Your kid is not grown yet. Your kid is not try your kid's not supporting you with their salary right now. So just like let them have some fun, right? And just you're not missing out on anything. Let them develop. You know, I, I I don't know about you, but like, I find that the kids who are like the later bloomers, that they learned how to hit first because they had to out of necessity, right? They learned how to make a lot of contact. They learned how to get on base. They're, they're hitterish, right? But mm-hmm. they're small or they're weak. And then all of a sudden they hit like a growth spurt and the power comes. Those are the kids that are special. Yep. It's not the kids that, that are, you know, the, the biggest kid on the team. Those kids are always the best at 10 at 12 the biggest kids on the That's team right. the fastest kids on the team right because right, yeah. they they grew first you know they got lucky they hit the genetic lottery mm-hmm. they're always good mm-hmm. but it's that that tiny kid on the team or the like you know i play four sports and i kind of play baseball or softball but like i'm pretty good with my bat like i got pretty good barrel skills when those kids start to get it and they start to fill out it's like game changer and those are the kids that end up being good and they also typically have parents that were patient and let them develop. So I'm glad you, I'm glad that's where you transit. We transition because it's, it's, it's the parents that are driving a lot of the insecurity, a lot of the, 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 the lack of understanding of what true confidence really is. And it's the kitchen table yeah. talk, to be honest with you, the kitchen table talk is it's what's driving, um, the idea that development should be like fast food and not like a home cooked meal. Well, I like that. You know, and I think, so the other night, right, I had four or five kids, you know, in a group and we were, we were talking, we we're picking up balls. And um, I said, I asked the question, okay, so what, what's a slump? Like, what is that? So I said, all right, let's, let's do this. I want everybody at the same time to tell me how many at bats without getting a hit quantifies a slump? But you got to say it at the same time. I'm going to say one, two, three, and you say the number because I wanted to see what they thought a slump was. Uh huh. So all five kids had a different number. Somebody said ten. Somebody said twenty. Somebody said fi- somebody said five. Oh, for five is a slump. <laughs> Jesus, over oh, five. Rach, I was like, I was ready to hit the floor. I was like, dude, I said, so I said, so first of all, (laughs) 
I said, I said, I said so, so, so. What if you were, what if you went over five and you smoked balls right at people? Are you in a slump? What if you go five for five with all dinkers and and cheap lucky hits? Is that a slump? Yep. Like, <laughs> so it just got them thinking. I, the question was never really answered. It wasn't about answering the question. It was about getting them to to think about what they're really saying. And it, it, again, it's, it goes back to perspective. It goes back to mindset. It goes back to because it's not the, it's not just the thing. It's what you think about the thing, and and that that's mindset. Yep. yep. And so for me, I've spent so much more time on that. Like, I, I want to make sure I'm spending time on that. So I don't do any front toss without the kid having a count, and I only want two counts, less than two or two. Okay. And every time we do front toss, you need to have a count, less than two or two, because just like in a game. A decision has to be made. Yes. And you got to know whether you should take that pitch. It's not about balls and strikes. It's about can I hit it hard? Yep. Let's get that. Let's. I got to get that out of the head first because everybody's like, "But that was a strike." Oh, you swung because it was a strike. But it was a horrible strike. It was a great. It was a great strike for the pitcher, but it wasn't a good strike for you. So with less yeah. than two, less than two, why are you swinging? So if I don't implement the 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 process of decision making into the, the front toss, it will never translate and transfer into the game because the game requires right. that. The game requires that of you. So for me, it, you know, I had to figure out and be more creative and innovative and just in cage dynamics. Yep. That's that 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 get the minds the the mentality happening, the, you know, the in game mentality happening in a cage situation, and and actually have some emotional context in training. Yep. So yeah, I love that. So those are some things that you know that I'm doing now that I, I, I didn't do five years ago, four years ago, you know, because I'm realizing that five years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago, years ago, I think a lot of my players that I got that I had were a lot tougher mentally, and uh-huh. and they're not as tough mentally anymore. So a big part of my job is to is to get them tougher mentally more than anything right and i think too you know i a lot of what the, like you said the players that we had before i do think they were tougher mentally and they dealt with failure better yeah here's why right like they used to go outside and play with their friends True. right and when you go outside and play with your friends you're competing you're talking crap you're you're doing you know what you're, you're experimenting and you're having fun and a lot of it is just failure based, but you don't realize it because you're having fun with your friends, but you're mm. learning how to fail, mm. right? You're learning what it feels like to fail in front of your friends and be embarrassed and all mm. that stuff to lose, right? And and it's, but they don't do that anymore. And that's not an indictment on where we are at as a society, okay? Mm-hmm. That's that's not, it's just the reality. It's of just the, the reality, exactly. That's just the reality, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like we now have to create training environments in our cages that mimic what they're missing by not going outside and playing neighborhood baseball or softball, mm. playing stickball, playing wiffle ball, playing, you know, taking a blitz ball outside and just like going nuts with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you think about it, our variability training that we do, that we used to do that outside, right? You would walk outside, you'd bring whatever the hell bat you had at the time. Okay. You didn't, you didn't have to, Oh, I can't, I can't swing it. It's not my 33, 23. 
Like I, it's, it's not my ghost advanced. I can't swing it. Right. It's like, <laughs> you just, you just kind of picked up whatever bat was available, whatever ball was available. So today we're playing with the tennis ball. Tomorrow we're going to play with the wiffle ball. You know, we hit the tennis ball and we lost it in the gutter down the street. So now we're going to play with something else. It's like, you just figured stuff out. And we did that where we, we swung different implements. We threw different balls. We, we did all that and we don't do it anymore. So now us coaches have to create that same training environment that they're not getting. And now we look like the weirdos because we're doing all the weird stuff. Well, yeah, because mm-hmm. it, it really does look like if, if you let a 12 year old run a practice and you said, hey, get as creative as you want, make it as fun as you want. That's kind of what it looks like in our cages now. And it has to because that's the stuff that they needed that they're not getting anymore. True. So true. So I, true. I mean, yeah, and it, you're right though, because like with the, with the kids not being tougher, like again, that's not an indictment on society. That's just the reality of the situation. And right. so, so how are we gonna help with that? And I think by exposing them to that, which is something they're not getting, that's mm-hmm. very, very, that's a very, very important part of their development. You know what, one of my kids said to me, random i guess she knew someone that i trained years ago and she said you know rob i heard you got i heard you got softer (laughs) i said said, whoa wait a minute (laughs) what do you mean yeah so and so i said i had to i said you know what i i kind of did and and the reason why i got softer is because i know that if 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 i'm too tough it, it would it would it would force a lot of people out of the game Yep. And the, the experience wouldn't be good for you. So I'm I'm tough in spots. I'm tough in certain situ- situations when I think I need to be. And then I scale it back in other in, in other times so that I have a, I have a better balance. But I am yeah. to my players what they need me to be. I, I have that. the I have the ability to transform, and I and and, and I, I love being able to to push my athletes right to the edge of where they can't do it, and then they do it. And I'm like, yes, now I got to move the edge. Yep. Or, or move yeah. the ball a little higher. And, then, and, 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 I, and I told my girls, I said, you know what? If you come in here and you leave here and you, and you feel like you want to cry sometimes, there's nothing wrong with that. That just means yep. that you really care and that you really got challenged. And then and, and yep. that's my job. That's, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not about you always feeling good. Sometimes we'll have a feel good, a feel good round. For sure. You know, and, it's, and that, that's cool too, but that's not always going to be the case. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, it, it, it's funny how my kids in, in the cage, especially it's like, usually when we do front toss, it's, there's always a drill involved mm-hmm. or there's, so they're like some kind of constraint, right? Yeah. Or, or there's, like you said, a count where there's a purpose, right? It's never just swing to swing. And so I remember like two, two weeks ago, because I, I'm, I'm on my way to Arizona right now. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I wanted to get kind of like a, I got a baseline measurement and I wanted to get like a, when I left, how much did you improve and you know, whatever. So I was like, all right, I said, we're just going to have around 10 balls. You're just trying to set a PR. Let's see, let's see if you can PR. And they're like, okay, so like, I just swing. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what's, you know, do I have to do a drill? No. Do I... Is there like a, a count? Is there a penalty? I'm like, no, you're just, the hit tracks is on. Just try to set a PR. And they're like, so just regular swings. I'm like, yes. So they, they're so accustomed to it now that they don't, like when you just let them swing away on front toss flips, it's like, they're they're almost bored, to be honest. It's like, well, what am I working on? It's like, mm-hmm. you're not, you're just trying to put it all together. 
And so it's, it's really interesting how when you see, like you said, when you challenge them and then you move the needle and it's harder and then you move the needle and it's harder, right? But they, they, they want to get to that where they get, like they beat you, right? For one day, they beat your drill or they beat your, your training environment for one day. And that's like the best feeling ever. They want to do that. And if they ask for it, they, they want to continue to do that. And I think that's a misconception is like, kids don't want to do what's hard. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Cruz, and I'm going to let you know how you can get 15% off any purchases you make at diamondkinetics.com. Whether it's the DK Swing Tracker for baseball or softball or the DK Pitch Tracker for baseball or softball, you will get 15% off by using the promo code Rob Cruz. That's R-O-B-C-R-E-W-S at checkout. Check out diamondkinetics.com and get your 15% off today. No, 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 no. Kids really actually do enjoy being challenged. They do. They do. They do. So yeah. they, a hundred, that's why kids play Fortnite. You get dropped off in a, in a, <laughs> a on a map with a hundred people who you've never met. You have no idea who they are. They all probably sit down and play Fortnite eight hours a day. And they're going to, you're not going to win. How many, I mean, if you, if you watch people play Fortnite, how often do you actually watch someone win? Like they finish in first. It doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. It probably, for a lot of people never happens but the kids still turn it on and they still play it and so because they want to try they want to try to get to to number one and they want to play with their friends and they want to mm-hmm. have fun mm-hmm. so like challenging them is fun it's fun for them you know sometimes you lose and sometimes it's not fun but for the most part they they chase that high of being able to like i got you coach rob i got you today you thought you were going to get me today but i got you and okay. that means more to them than crushing, you know, eight out of 10 balls on front toss. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so talk to me about your favorite technology, pro level, youth level, doesn't matter. Um, and why? So like, what's your go-to, like, if you just want to get some, some metrics, quick metrics, what do you got in your, in your backpack, in your book bag or whatever? When you walk in the door, like I, like for me, like I don't go anywhere without at least ten diamond kinetic swing trackers. It doesn't matter okay. where I'm. It doesn't matter where I am. I have at least ten swing trackers in my in my bag. <laughs> you know. Okay, I got um, you. Yep. So I can I can just do an assessment, you know, at any given time with anybody five swings to see what we got. Yep. Because I, I know when it's good. I know when it's bad. But how good? How good is it? Right. You know? I I will <laughs> tell you from a ease of use standpoint. Mm-hmm. You gotta go with the bat sensors. I use Blast. I think Blast mm-hmm. is exceptionally easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can tell the most about a player's swing and how they're like when your bat moves a certain way. I could usually trace it back to telling you that your body is probably moving a certain way, mm-hmm. right? And so I like for that for like you said, portability, ease of use. It's cheap. Right? They're super cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the blast sensor a lot. Um, for the aha moments with kids, mm-hmm. if you have a launch monitor, a hit tracks, something like that, where you could say, hey, listen, I want you to try this. I want you to hit and take a swing with your heels down, right? Just I want you to feel staying grounded. I want you to feel your back heel connection, whatever you're working on that day. Mm-hmm. And just watch a kid go, 
kind of roll their eyes at it. Like, well, this is going to be crap. And then they hit the ball either just as hard or harder than when they're moving their feet around. And you're like, okay, so that's powerful, right? But I do think that the, the great, like, connector between coach and player is video. Hmm. And it, and it, it's, the, it's the thing you carry in your pocket, right? Mm -hmm. It's just being able to show them and and I like to I like to catch him doing it right, you know. Hey, that was a really good swing. Let's take a look at that. Versus, here's what you did wrong. This was a really good swing. Let's take a look at that. This is what you did in that moment. Catch him doing it right, and you show them that, and that seems really powerful too. So it just kind of, I mean, the aside, the launch monitor is expensive, right? But like blast and your iPhone. Everybody's got an iPhone, mm -hmm. right? So you've got you you blast in your iPhone. You could do a lot with that right you can do a lot with those two and a pocket radar right like you can you can do a lot with that but i think video is that connection piece that shows especially like the older players i feel like they always want to watch video and so it's like if you can connect what you took with your diamond kinetic sensors or what i take with my blast sensors and show them on video what it looks like it looks then like. that's like super powerful Yes. Right. That's that's when it's like, oh, okay. And then, if you can get them to connect the feel to that, take that 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 kid will just take off. And I think that's that's incredibly crucial. And to go a step further, to add to what you just said, once they connect connect the feel to it, I'll have them actually name it with with their own self talk language. So yes. Like, what do you want to call that? I want to call that this. Okay, great. Now that's your self-talk. Yep. So you, you want to make sure that you have a conversation with yourself and have better self-talk that's more positive. And that is, I, it, 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 the self-talk needs to take you someplace. Yes. And in this case, it's to a feeling, which translate into yep. what it, translates into what it looks like, which translates into efficiency, which translates into harder hit balls. You know, it, it, it all goes back to what the whole goal is. You know for the session but you mentioned back heel connection i like that can you explain yeah um i mean so you know i i was always told when i was a kid you got to be on the balls of your feet the athletes are always on the balls of their feet mm -hmm. and that, and that's true they they are when they're moving fast mm -hmm. right when you're picking up your feet and trying to put them down and move fast you are but when you're trying to be stable your heels are on the ground mm. right when we're standing for long periods of time our heels are on the ground Mm -hmm. When we're squatting underneath the bar, our heels are on the ground. When we are like trying to, to do something that requires us to be stable, our heels are on the ground. And hitting, we have to be stable, right? We are not moving from point A to point B fast in terms of with our feet when we're hitting, right? We're trying to be stable and connected to the ground so that our pelvis can move efficiently. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, sorry I, I, I'm throwing you an alley-oop right now. That's fine. <laughs> because, Go for it. Because I wanted you to say that so bad. Well, Thank God, because so, I've been trying to right. do this. <laughs> Go ahead, it's, sorry. It's, it's really, no, I mean, and, and like, if you, if you move, so like, let's say you put like a furniture slider underneath their back foot, or you put mm -hmm. a, something that makes their feet unstable, mm -hmm. okay? And you watch their pelvis move your pelvis will always choose stability 
before it chooses the most efficient way to hit a baseball or a softball. Hmm. Because our brain wants us to not get hurt first before it ever cares about hitting that thing that's flying at you. Hmm. Okay? So when we are unstable, our pelvis will stabilize. It will find a way to stabilize. Now that, if you're not stable already, if your heels are not connected to the ground for a long enough period of time, and it's different for, every, for everybody, but if your heels are not connected to the ground for a long enough period of time, your pelvis will be unstable. And if your pelvis is unstable, it will then stabilize itself, which will force compensating moves from the rest of your body because we go as the pelvis goes. And so if you look at someone who, let's say they hang, hang up, it's a, their heel might be connected to the ground, but their pelvis is uphill when they're making their forward move. Mm-hmm. They're going to land. They're probably gonna be heavy on their backside, but then mm-hmm. they're, you're gonna watch their pelvis shift to a level position. And then their upper body is gonna do some un, uh, suboptimal hitting compensation move with their upper body. And then that's gonna cause them to do something that's less than desirable. Pull off the ball, swing under the ball, chop at the ball, whatever it is, right? And it, that, a lot of that can be corrected with our first move of just making sure that our pelvis is stable. And so some people can really, they really do a good job of stabilizing their pelvis on one leg, like a Justin Turner mm-hmm. or like a Javi Baez, right? But then when that, when that back leg point, comes off the ground, you mean? When the, when the front leg comes off the ground, they're standing on, on their back leg. Like okay, they can it. stabilize their pelvis really well. But if you watch their back foot, that heel is putting vertical force down into the ground, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I would say that we know that because we've tested it, right? Yes, and yes. so they're putting vertical force down into the ground with their heel, right? We, we've used pressure pads, we've used force plates. We, we know this, like this is something that elite hitters do okay Mm -hmm. and if you watch them they can control their pelvis very well with one leg now some hitters cannot i was one of those hitters where i could not i'm a tighter Mm -hmm. mover my hips don't really have a ton of mobility and so i really hit well spread out you've seen me hit so I, Mm -hmm. i i was really good at being more spread out kind of like albert pujols like Early in his career, he kind of started to pick up his leg and move forward later in his career. But early in his career, like prime Albert Pujols, real spread out, small toe tap. That was how I could level out my pelvis. Now, was I thinking about that when I played? No, I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I was just trying to hit. But now I know. And it's like, oh, well, that's that was the move that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And so with our with our back connection, right, that allow that gives us the best chance to stabilize our pelvis as we make our forward move, whether that happens on one leg, whether that happens with a kind of like an early toe down approach, or if some hitters just kind of lift their heel and go, it doesn't matter, but our pelvis has to be stable. And when we have our back heel on the ground, that does allow us to be stable. That's why we squat with our heels on the ground, because if our pelvis was unstable with a load on top of us on our backs, we're, we're going to get injured. Yeah. So, you know, we have to have something that we can we can press our heel into the ground with. So how much do you find that when you're working at the pro level, how much do you find that it, it's more like the, the conversations are almost better than the reps? 
So if, if you got a, if you have a 20 minute session with someone and you spend 20 minutes, 15 yep. of it might be conversation and five might be hit, might be actual reps. Like how, how often do you find that to be the case? Or is um, it like, I'm, or is it, does it flux? I mean, obviously you know who those people are where it's more right. of a conversation. Cause you know, Jessica Mendoza was that way. You know, when she was, you know, we would, we would have a hitting session, but it would be, we would talk through a lot of stuff, you know, because yeah. she was, she was such a cerebral person. Yes. But, but at the I, same time, she would also, she's feel, you know, in a lot of ways too, but the conversations kind of ignited her. So what do you yeah. think? Um, I think it depends on the player. Um, mm -hmm. if you, if you have someone that is very cerebral and very like you, you could tell, like you could tell right away the players that have like this growth mindset where they want to figure it out for the sake of figuring it out. And then you have players that it's like, I just want my career to be taken care of. Like, I'm not really interested in learning all this stuff. I just want my swing to be good. I want my hitting approach to be good because I want to be good. And mm. both of those are fine, right? But I find that the players that are really interested in learning this, like almost from like the perspective of a coach, those players want to sit and dig in and talk and learn everything, right? Whereas the players who are more just, I'm just trying to feed my family right now and I'm trying to get to the next level just tell me what I need to do and tell me all of the things that pertain to me, then it's, I feel like it's less conversation based. It's more just give me the quick hits, right? Give me the cliff notes. Give me the one, two, three. I'll work on that. That'll be part of my routine. And if it, if it doesn't work, we'll reconvene versus, Hey, I noticed, you know, I was doing this the other day and um, it felt different. And I want to, I want to, I want to talk about that. I want to explore that because I did something and I really liked it or I did something and I felt like it, it didn't work for me. Like those players that really want to dig in, those are like, they're probably going to be future coaches, right? But it kind of depends on the player. And both of those, you see both of those are, I mean, you see both of those types of personalities in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's a very, you know, some players have to be a little bit more selfish and a little bit more, streamline in their approach whereas other players can handle learning everything because they want to and so it's just it just depends on on what their what their desires are but i do think it's 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 a it's probably about a 50 50 mix of you know conversations and things um you know i'll have we do video reviews periodically during the season and so we'll block off you know like a five or ten minute block per player and we'll mm -hmm. have them out through the week and some players are in and out in two minutes and some players stay there for 15 minutes and 20 minutes and you can just kind of figure out who really wants to dive into this stuff and a lot of times too players they don't want to not be good at stuff they don't they don't want to they don't want you to tell them that they're struggling and so they avoid right mm. and so getting them to open up and say hey that's okay like we're, we're i'm trying to make you better then, then those conversations start to take place, but it's, mm. it's it's different. It's dependent on the player. That's good. That's I like that. That's good. That's really good. So tell me about Fulton Fast Pitch. Like, what specifically, you know, is Fulton Fast Pitch? Why did you found? Why why did why was it founded? Um, how has it evolved? And what can we look forward to presently and in the next year or two from Fulton Fast Pitch? 
So fold and fast pitch was just me and two buckets of balls, a tee and a bonnet for about three, four years. Wow. And it was just like, uh, I, I mean, I would go sweat on fields out in the summer because it was free mm -hmm. um, and just try to dodge rainstorms and, you know, just try to give lessons outside. And what it's evolved to is, you know, it was, then we moved indoors and we had our own facility, which was really, really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And now we are in a big facility, which we rent from now. So it's not our own facility, but we, we occupy a space of it. Mm -hmm. And there's, I've got four instructors underneath me, which is really, really awesome. So um, it's, it's just been a, like a evolving thing. We're always trying to get better. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things that I'm very, very proud of with Fold and Fast Pitch is we are, I think we do a lot more. We give you more for, for everything than, than most people do with their typical half hour lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, we give you, we give you a plan. There's a, everybody gets a typed out player plan. Everybody gets a movement prep plan. Um, it's, it's very comprehensive. You know exactly what your direction is. You know exactly what your plan is. And uh, we're cheap. We're, we're not the most expensive place in the area. And that's something that's very important to me. And you heard a little bit of my story, but like money was tight when I was growing up. And so I think, you know, our game has shifted, both baseball and softball has shifted towards if, if you can't afford to play, you can't play anymore. You know, there's no, there's no free opportunities anymore, right? Like to, to play at a high level, like there was when, when I was a kid and, or, or low cost opportunities, you know, it's, it's travel ball, the travel ball machine, you know, if you can't spend 15, $20,000 a year on the travel ball machine, it's almost like you can't play anymore. And I just don't believe in that. So we, we try to keep it really cost effective. Um, this year, what I did over this off season, mostly out of necessity, because I had to, I had a lot of kids and I didn't have a ton of time. So I ran classes only. I did basically zero individual lessons. And I did small groups of four and it was the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I will forever do this with players mm -hmm. is it, it was, it's just really cool that every player has their own hitting routine. It's very much like a, like a pro baseball environment, right? Mm -hmm. And pro baseball players like to hit with other guys. They don't like to hit one-on-one -on -one all the time. Right. And so I think that's, that's something that baseball taught me is the the one-on-one -on -one instruction to me makes it gives the coach too much power it's like coach tell me what to do and but only me right like it gives me th this this <laughs> sense that i'm special and that we're gonna get everything right if we work on one-on-one -on -one. and so we did you know we did like an assessment process with everybody we gave them their their hitting routines and then every day we would do some different type of like team activity right where like something that that challenged them from a variability standpoint and so it was the coolest thing it was super cheap for for each player that came to class and it got competitive and that's the thing that misses i think we miss from one-on-one -on -one lessons sometimes is like there's no real competition like you're competing against yourself sometimes you know as a coach it'll be like hey if you if you hit like three three balls in a row to the back of the cage i'll do 10 push-ups so now you're kind of competing against me but it's not the same right it's mm -hmm. So, you know, it's funny in 2006 is when I converted to, I got rid of my um, individual lessons and went into my four, my four, my four player. 
Are you, yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if you hear me. I think you might have went out a little bit. Are you, are you hearing me right now? I, I can hear you now. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was saying um, in 2006, I converted, I went from individual lessons to four player classes only. Mm-hmm. And I actually consulted a sports psychologist about it before I did it. And I was wow. told that, I was told that um, what the four player f- format does, if you organize it properly, it gives each player a little bit of one-on-one time with you, a little bit of time to hit with someone else, like in a side toss situation, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of time to hit individually on the tee. So my format is based on those three areas. You're hitting by yourself, you're hitting with a partner, and you're hitting with me one-on-one at some point in the, in, in the one hour. And um, like, I've never gone back. So um, that's something I 100% agree. It, and it's been the best move I ever made because I felt, I feel like, you know, you're never gonna ever hit one-on-one ever in any situation beyond, yep. eight, eight, you know, once you get to college and pro, like you're always hitting with 20 other people. <laughs> yes, you know so saying? true. So yeah. why would you want to get accustomed to that environment when that's not the real, that's not the environment that I'm, that I'm getting you ready for? Right. You know, and sometimes, you know, I, I want you to look around. I want you to look over your shoulder and have to have, to have public failure. Public failure is necessary. Yes. Because when you, when you, when you strike out in a game, everybody's watching, <laughs> you just yeah. felt, you just failed publicly. So let's do that. And I love it when the next class comes in. So I got the four players in my class and then the next class comes in a little early and their parents yep. are in, in there and it's packed. And I love yep. it when I have, I always have the right kid. I'm like, Hey, you're up. Everybody's here. Everybody's and I can see how they change. Yep. Because all the, the energy just changed in the room. <clears throat> and it's great. Yeah. I, I love it. It's, it's like, I, I 100% agree. It's it's so true. And it's like, it also gives you the environment of like, okay, well, this drill's really, really hard. And if I'm the only one that's doing it, it seems even harder. <laughs> but when you look around and you're like, well, damn, she's struggling too. And she's struggling too. And she's struggling too. All right. This drill's just freaking hard. So now they could, now it's like, you could just blame the drill. Like, damn, that drill sucks. <laughs> Right? You don't you don't have to like it doesn't have to be like I suck. It's just like, hey, what what the hell is he making us do right now? Mm-hmm. Like, is this serious? Um, and and I think there's like value to that, right? Because then, then that helps you like just kind of understand that like failure to, it, it's like facing, you know, it, it's like going up to bat against Kat Osterman or Monica Abbott, right? Mm-hmm. Thankfully Jenny Finch was on my team and I never had to face her. Ever. I never had to face Jenny Finch, greatest that's my greatest accomplishment in the history of my career is that I never had a hit off of her. Thank God. But <laughs> the, uh, I did have to face Kat Arsterman and Monica Abbott. And when you face them, it's like, you already know you walk into the game and you like, that girl is going to strike out 12 to 15 people today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I've already like conceded that, like she's going to strike out 12 to 15 people because she's that good. So that gives us, what nine opportunities to maybe string something together mm-hmm. so i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to be one of those nine where i where i get on base or i don't strike out i'm just gonna try to give us a chance yeah sometimes that's how hitting has to be hey hitting ain't all exit velocity and barrels and all this stuff sometimes hitting is so freaking hard that mm-hmm. you just have to say i'm just trying to not strike out today 
Yeah. Because that's how good that girl is on the mound, or that's how good that guy is on the mound. Mm -hmm. And if we don't prepare them, how are they ever going to know how to do that? 100%. Right? Because then they're going to go in there and they're going to be, oh, I went 0 for 3 with 3Ks, and they're going to go back and they're going to cry because they think that they failed, and you're just like, bro, she's that she does that to everybody like <laughs> right. i don't feel bad she does that to everybody that's this is a normal day at the office yeah <laughs> when, when she when, you know when we know we got it up against her we're going to try to scratch and scrape and try to get whatever yeah. we can get any way we can because it's going to be it's going to be hard yeah and then it's you know. softball right so then you're just like well i just hope she doesn't pitch tomorrow because in softball, you throw, you know, nobody nobody really cares. They should, but nobody really cares about pitch counts and how often you throw. It's like, you just, you go home, you know, you you just chill out, you get some good sleep, and you just hope that she ain't on the mound tomorrow. And that's that's all you can do. I got so many, you know, we could talk for like five hours, and I got so much I want oh, yeah. to ask you. I, wanna, I don't want to be get the guy that had you on the podcast too long. It's like, oh, that was too long. <laughs> but I got so many freaking things I want to ask you. But I want—I have to ask you this before you go. How, okay, working in baseball and softball, because I do also, you know, and I know that there's some differences yep. and I know there's some similarities, right? And so I always say, people always say, you know, is it different? Well, yeah, I, I think baseball, baseball and softball are two different sports, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are. I think some people look at it like, you know, softball is girls baseball and it's not because there is a women's baseball, by the way. Yes. That that exists. Yes. <laughs> softball is yes. an entirely different sport. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but there's also some distinct differences. So when I yes. um so when when I look at it, I'm I'm looking at it in that way because I happen to know that there's some distinct differences. And I have a lot of swing tracker data from um scrapyard dogs and 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 I have some swing tracker data that, I, that obviously that's public. You can just look it up and Google right. it and, and, and research it from Major League Baseball. And you can see because of the rise ball, I think for me, like because of the of the rise ball, the, you have to respect the rise ball in, in your in your I would say in your attack angle. You have to respect that yes. it, it, that it can it can be coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and yep. in baseball, you know, obviously, I think the only thing that's close to the rise ball would be like a like a. Uh, a fastball with a high with a high spin rate would be kind of yes. similar to a rise ball if it's in a certain location. And I think, but baseball players kind of, I think baseball players do a, maybe do a better job of like sitting more. Yes. And guessing more than softball yes. players do, in my opinion. So what, do you, what are your thoughts? Um, I completely agree with you. I think, Keep in mind too, and, and I hope this changes. I mm -hmm. hope, you know, people in positions like ours where we, we work in both and we we have this like crossover where we can see the best of both um, help push us in a, in a different way. But I also think like the quality of coach in baseball is higher. Hmm. And a lot of that is simply because a lot of, well, let's say most coaches are men, okay? Mm -hmm. And men are more likely to have played baseball than they are to have played softball, right? Like we can all agree on that, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is there is this experience factor that plays into a coach who has played baseball, right? And then they're trying to figure out softball, but there are some differences and it's hard to articulate those differences 
unless you've done it. Now it's not impossible, okay? Like I've never played major league baseball. I've never played minor league baseball, but it's so for me to, to learn those things, I, I think it could be done. Like, I think that that's, that's it's a very similar thing, but I do think that the quality of coach as a whole is better in baseball only because of that. And the second thing is money plays a large role in this, right? There's more money in baseball. And, and typically men's sports pay better than women's sports, right? So typically baseball coaches get paid more than softball coaches and on and on down the road. So I think you're gonna have coaches that are more likely to actually understand how the game is being played. And so when they talk about guessing and they talk about sitting on pitches, that's 100% what everybody should do. Whether you play baseball, whether you play softball, you should be sitting on pitches and you should be taking educated guesses. Right. As long as they're educated, you can't just go up there and go like, "Girl hasn't thrown a drop ball all game, but I'm a. I think she's <laughs> gonna throw a drop ball drop now." Ball. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and because that's that's what I want her to throw. Well, sorry, kid. Like, use use the information at hand. And so, um, I think you just don't see that taught to a lot of softball players. And I also think that because the distance is shorter, it's harder to see the shapes and the movement um from from a coach's perspective so it kind of just all looks the same from a coach from the from the dugout a, a curveball and a screwball look the same or or a drop ball and a fastball look the same right and then it's like you can kind of see the rise ball and you can kind of see a change up and like you can kind of see a really really good drop ball but like the east and west stuff all kind of looks the same whereas in baseball there's a, there's a speed change. Every time they throw a different type of pitch, there's usually a speed change. So it's easier to see. So I think coaches kind of respect that the, the, the sheer magnitude of different pitches that are thrown and, and how they move. And so they teach you to kind of look for tendencies because as a coach, it's easier for us to see. You know, like it's harder, it's harder for us to see from the dugout how many curveballs the girl has thrown unless we're really keen on understanding what a curveball looks like. And there's yeah. just not a lot of coaches that are. And so I think I think you you it just kind of looks like a fastball. So it's like, hey, basically you're just kind of in your brain divided into fast stuff and slow stuff, but not really from a movement perspective on how to hit it. So I, I don't think that that goes into it. But I do like going back to your to your rise ball, high fastball. If you look at like Rapsodo data, mm-hmm. like a high spin rate fastball at the top of the zone, basically is a rise ball. It's the same. It's a the same good thing. rise ball. It's the same, it's the same thing. thing. And, I, and you know what? It's, when I tell people that, I think they look at me funny because I know, and I know you know this, but most people don't know this. There's probably about eight, less than 10 people in the entire country in softball that actually throw a true rise ball that's coming in on one plane and then jumps to another plane. Yes. Or t- less than 10, definitely less than 10, but not more than because most most rise balls are based on the hitter's perception that it's rising more than it is actually rising. Correct. Because it's just not on its way down as as more as the other pitches are. Right. It doesn't follow the same arc as the rest of the pitches, right? Exactly. And I think right. that's the key. And, and so and, and another thing about your point about recognition, I don't I don't know if you even know this or not, but I have spent my entire teaching coaching career chasing vision and chasing you know visual mechanics and the different things that hitters do visually 
and researching how different sports like NASCAR driving and, and uh, hockey goalies and flight mm-hmm. uh, flight flight pilots train vision and you know taking some of those ideas and bringing bringing them into the game of baseball and softball and what I do know for a fact is that because the red seams and the white and the white ball have a really really high contrast uh-huh. it's a little easier to pick up the red seams but in softball because the optic yellow and the red are very close in contrast um it's very it's more difficult to pick up more difficult to pick up the, the red seams but the, the common denominator is the red is the red so mm-hmm. when i'm doing like a lot of business stuff I usually I usually try to do things where I can help the hitter separate white from red or yellow from red or anything from red because it's really all about reading the red. And but and, and another conversation we'll talk, we'll go into depth because I have some stuff that I've been working on for the last eight years regarding that. And also I have some stuff, this thing called the uh, dynamic visual acuity screen that I developed okay. that, I, that I want I want to talk to you about too. Because I think oh, that yeah. would help you to just kind of categorize where different people are visually. And the thing about vision and recognition and decision-making is if I implement a vision training program into my program, right? And my mm-hmm. team gets better, there's no way of me knowing whether or not that's why they got better. That's true. <laughs> so it's like, it could be the reason why, but it, but how do I know for sure? I don't know. But with my right. screen, you're going to know why. And you're going to know I how, and you're going to be able to measure. That's why I want. We got to have a conversation about it, and we will. Heck yeah! Whenever you're ready, short order. Whenever you're ready, we'll talk. You again. got so it. I, I gotta let you go because I feel so bad. I kept you on here longer than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. I'm literally in the middle of the desert, driving to Arizona, so don't worry about it. And I know you guys. You're headed over to spring training. Is that right? Yep. I okay. I'll be I'll be uh, in Phoenix tonight. So. Great. And you guys start tomorrow, or what is it? Uh yeah, I'll report tomorrow. Nice. Awesome. I want to wish you the best of luck. I'm so um, grateful that you took the time to come on my little, my little small podcast here. <laughs> but I, hey. got, I got some loyal, I got some loyal you know, diehard folks that are really interested to hear from you um, and, be, and really be happy to hear from you. But tell us, please, how my audience can get in touch with you um, and, and follow you and, and engage with you and, and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm at at Hold and Fast Pitch on all of the socials. And if you want to really dive into a lot of the swing stuff that we've been doing, visit uh, EliteFastPitch.tv. It is a brand new site that we launched that is the best drill library that you can find, in my opinion. It's been a labor of love. It's something that we built and I wanted it to be super easy to use, super easy to understand, and just completely hit you in the face with quality content so I think we achieved that so give that a look and yeah that's that's basically it Grace this has been freaking awesome I'm fired up I want to go get the cage right now I know let's go I know <laughs> oh boy this is great so and I gotta have you back obviously I'm not gonna bother you during the season but when the off season comes back around I'd love to get you back on and, and uh and we talk shop about some other stuff and then kind of go, go even deeper if it's possible. Heck yeah, let's do it. Um, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right.